Life on Side B is a ministry of Posture Shift, a missiological ministry equipping church leaders and parents on LGBT inclusion and care. Learn more at PostureShift.com. Also, we want to thank all of our patrons who keep the podcast going and growing through their continued giving. If you love this podcast, consider becoming a patron at Patreon.com forward slash Life on Side B. Now on to the episode. Greg, it is so good to have you here with us. So good to be here with you guys. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Yeah, we're glad y'all. Yeah, I got the opportunity to visit Greg and stay at his house in Southern California. And it was an honor and one of the greatest memories I have. So, yes, I'm jealous. Yeah, I'm jealous of myself. I was like, I got to have Josh (laughs) in my house. This is amazing. I was having all the kinds of like, you know, I'd be royalty, celebrity vibes going on. Oh gosh, on. no! But, like, but, <laughs> but it was a delight. It was my honor to be there, and you and Paulo, such great hosts. And Paulo's going to be wow. on this season too. I'm so excited. Yes. The SoCal yeah. Side B gays are going to be representing on this season of Life on Side B. I'm really yeah. excited for all of it. I love that because we're having Joel. We were we we showed up at every voice this year. We got all that shout out love about like mm-hmm. biggest group that showed up. Yeah, seriously, we're we're, we're taking. Up. I'm waiting for the mm-hmm. TV show about Side B life in SoCal. <laughs> oh, we're ready. We're ready to film that it. That would be so amazing. Please, I came up with a good title. I think uh, Monks in the City. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Yes, please. One hundred percent produce this mm-hmm. get someone to do it no one will want to, no no production company would probably be up for doing it we can do it ourselves um it's so good to have you here though uh and becca and i are here to talk with you um uh, i just realized i hadn't ex- shared hi becca <laughs> hi hi it's all right i jumped in there you did you did i just forgot to say that it was you and i together here um but Greg, you know, we're here talking about emotional health and how this plays into resilience. But before we get into that, there are probably some people, I wish I don't know how, that don't know you. I mean, your revoice speaker spoke this last year, all of this stuff. But for those of you who for those who are listening who may not know you, can you share with us about how you identify and a little bit of how you've gotten to where you're at in your journey of sexuality and gender? Or yeah, sexuality, faith, to. or gender. All of it. All of it together. All of it. Why not? Yeah. Um, well, again, my name is Greg Pikin. I'm 41 years old, uh, born and raised in Los Angeles, and uh, lived in Southern California my whole life. I um, identify as gay, and I've had uh, quite a journey of faith on that. More more about that in a second. Um, I just want to let you know a little bit about where I'm coming from as a, a professionally too. I'm a been a pastor for 17 years at a non-denominational, uh, what I call a, a mini mega church, and uh, we'll be uh, actually moving to a different church in San Diego uh, in a couple months called Park Hill Church, mm. and uh, that's uh, yeah, woohoo, go team! <laughs> and um, I've also been a therapist for a couple of years, and uh, love kind of combining both of those things into um, uh, what I do and how I, I share with people. And I think there's so much integration between faith mm. and uh, psychology that, that 
that really can help us in our in our spiritual growth. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, <laughs> so I've had to learn that the hard way, of course, though, and so that kind of gets back to your earlier question. Um, so I I recognized at a young age that 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 I I like the boys more than I like the girls, um, and I met met that with all kinds of shame. You know, um, I'm, I, I recognized that those were some of the kids that got picked on. Mm-hmm. Um, I also recognized though, that there was a way in which it was talked about culturally still at that time in, um, the early nineties that was not necessarily safe to talk about. Mm. And I had all kinds of designs on becoming a pop superstar so we were not going to let a silly thing like being gay get in the way of becoming, uh, you know, world famous here. So I uh, decided to be in the closet for that reason, actually. Um, I was born and raised Jewish, so I didn't have like the the Christian part of my my story uh, causing me to stay in the closet until um, until a little bit later. But um, I had a friend who who was a, a faithful believer um, in high school and he ended up leading me uh, to faith in Christ uh, when I was 18 years old. And uh, right after that, he actually came out of the closet. And unfortunately, his church horrifically rejected mm. him. Um, he went running from the church and, to my knowledge, hasn't come back since. Um, and that also kind of gave me an early signal that that was another good reason to stay in the closet because it wasn't it wasn't safe to come out. Uh, in church world either. And so no matter where I was, um, I, I, I took some cultural cues and said, this is, this is not safe. And I thought, well, why don't I just take that to the grave? Like I, I have so many things that I want to do with my life. If this thing's going to get in the way of that, yeah. then, then why would I want to, um, jeopardize that? No. The problem was I was met with so much loneliness along the way and so many ways in which I didn't feel known that uh, I hit a wall at a very late age, uh, 38, where I finally just said, I'm so lonely and I so, so feel unlovable because people, if they really knew my story, they wouldn't think that um, that I was as loving as they say I was. But, um, but when I hit that wall, I said, okay, I'd either, I'd either rather uh, leave this life or leave the closet. And thankfully I, I chose leaving the closet. So I started by sharing with a number of, of my safest people. And that turned into, um, a really corrective experience where I realized, whoa, they actually still love me and they think the world of me. And they actually think that God could use my story, not want me to stay in the closet. And through the process of sharing that more and more was really, really amazed to see, Oh, God doesn't make mistakes here. God actually wants to use my story. Mm. God actually has a plan for me yeah. for exactly who I am as a gay man of faith. Amen. And I've, I've seen so many different ways in which that's been playing out over the last few years. And it's, it's just been an honor to, to, to help others in that space now. Oh, that's amazing. It is. Yeah. Thank, you. thank you for sharing. Yeah. Oh, thank you for asking. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I like... Just being able, I, I feel like it's so important for people to be able to understand that 
many times I think people in the church think that when we come out, it's just because we woke up one day and thought, hmm, I'm going to come out as gay today. But <laughs> why not? I don't have enough stress in my life. This will get me to that right level of stress. Absolutely. Whereas mm-hmm. many of us come to that place of like, I am either going to come out of the closet or le- like leave the closet or leave this life. And I'm so glad you decided to come out of the closet because this world needs you so much. And yeah. we're so thankful to have you um, and have you here. Um, you know, as we move into the conversation on emotional health uh, mm-hmm. and especially within this conversation of sexuality and resilience, that's our seasonal theme of resilience. How has emotional growth played into your journey? Like, can you identify a moment in your life where you desired more emotional health in your spiritual life? Yeah, you know, I I think that I've had a few moments of that. My So my big thing is that the greatest thing that helps us to heal is connection. Mm-hmm. Connection with God, connection with others, connection with self. And... As I look back on my story, I think that without necessarily always knowing it, that I had a few little moments of, of crying out for that along the way. Um, it's interesting now that I'm you know, trying to put together like a little family of brothers here in Southern California, because as I look back, I've always been accidentally trying to do that without knowing what it was necessarily called. I think about the way in which I was like the driver of the friend group in high school. Mm. I think about the way in which in seminary I created a house full of guys uh, that we were doing uh, uh, school and life with. I think about when I uh, finished seminary and moved back to uh, Regatta Beach, I wanted to, to find a four bedroom house where I could have other guys that were part of the church and we were doing ministry and life together there. And, and I've realized that for me, emotional health has always had to include connection. I don't think there is emotional health without genuine connection. Absolutely. So those are, those are some huge ones for me. And then also, um, therapy, you know, I, I, I'm not just a therapist. I'm also a client. So, (laughs) um, and I, I, I'd like to think that any, any good therapy that I've done hasn't just come from education, but it's actually mostly because I'm following the footsteps of the people that have been incredible uh, therapists and counselors and pastors to me over the years. And um, so, so part of that um, cry for emotional health was, was the points along the way where I said, this is not working. I need somebody in the room with me that I can be completely honest with, completely myself with, completely a mess with and Mm -hmm. still be accepted and listened to and connected with in that environment. Amen. Answer your question. Oh yeah. 100%. I, I really (laughs) think like I have one big thing. I think everyone needs to be in counseling. Every single human being on earth, (laughs) especially if you are a counselor, if I'm going to go to a counselor, my first question is, are you in counseling? Because I need you to deal with your crap so you can help me deal with mine. (laughs) It is. That is a question I ask when I'm trying to find a therapist. Yep. As well, it should be. I mean, yeah, you it used to actually be a requirement um, as you were in the training process of becoming a therapist that you needed X amount of hours 
uh, depending on which state you were in, mm-hmm. uh, of therapy yourself. And I hope they bring that back because that was actually really uh, formative for me in a way that, that yeah. anything else has been. No, that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's been interesting for me at my church a lot. I feel like half of our church is people that are going <laughs> into counseling, which is really intriguing. I mean, so, uh, I mean, we always need more counselors in Florida. I don't know if you know this, but Florida is the rehab capital of the country. You know, things we love to, you know, <laughs> <laughs> statistics we love to have. Um, so, like, right. <laughs> So counselors do well here. So um, it's been interesting to be in community with people that are going through that same process. Because I do know a few people in my ch- in my church who are um, even filling in some of those hours for their uh, education. Um, as we talk yeah. about emotional health in a more broad way, you know, I said our theme is resilience, um, resilience in spiritual life. As queer people, we've talked seriously when we started this season i swear we quoted more bible about resilience than i think we ever have on our season premiere like we quoted more scripture than i think we ever have before but we talked a lot about like resilience and spirituality and faith and in all of these different things how do you believe emotional health plays into resilience yeah i think that when i think about resilience I'm often looking back on times where I have either bounced back quickly from something or I have not bounced back very quickly. Um, There are different triggers or different events that make us sometimes spiral a little bit more than others. Um, And I think about um, times in my life where I've, I've had something like a major loss might have been um, I lo- I've lost some some friends along the way. Um, I had my mom died five years ago, and that was a major loss. Mm. Uh, and um, then you know, there's like the day to day stuff of I got into an argument with uh, a coworker, or I um, felt like I was really misunderstood by by somebody that I I uh, I talked to on the phone. In all of those things, emotional health for me, as it relates to coming back from those things, has been about just the ability to to say, okay, what is really happening here, Greg? Am I talking to the person that just triggered me or am I actually talking to somebody from my past or Mm. thinking about an event from my past? So, um, for example, even today, this morning, um, I as we're getting ready to, to move to San Diego, uh, I was thinking about some events that, that had happened around looking for a house. And all of a sudden I realized I'm getting all triggered about, oh my gosh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna not find the right place and then we're gonna be homeless and then Paolo's gonna hate me and then I'm gonna die alone. And you know, I can, I can go down the, mm-hmm. the, the fun little spiral there, right? Uh, yeah, it doesn't take long. <laughs> that doesn't sound as good, does it? No. Um, but then, <laughs> What I'm able to do now is to say, okay, Greg, what's really going on? And, oh, actually, um, you're you're safe. There's plenty of options of places to live, even if it's not the perfect place. You have a lot of people there that love you and that want to be your family. You have a lot of ability 
and gifting and you have a lot of ability to 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 care for yourself uh both financially and otherwise when needed you know and i can walk myself back through those things in a way that has become quicker and quicker so now i don't even have to like list that out so much as my brain just automatically does it and so emotional health as it relates to resilience is about being more and more training myself to quickly get through what is true and accurate about me rather than what um, I am tempted to believe as the lie in the moment or the thing that I'm telling myself based on my past experience or my past trauma. And yeah, uh, yeah the more we can keep telling ourselves what is true and good and, and beautiful, um, uh, as Philippians 4 or 8 would uh, encourage us to do, I would say the more we're able to, to bounce back, be resilient more quickly. Yeah, that helps a lot um, in my experience with burnout, especially being in ministry and being in a ministry family. Um, it, it was something that I picked up from my dad and I've realized that it was so much of a, a remembrance of I'm doing this because the Lord has called me to it, not because I have to. And that helped with resilience of just being able to say there are other things that I can fall back on mm -hmm. you know yeah. friends other things mm -hmm. that I used to watch my dad when he'd have hard times in ministry and it was always like it, it's kind of a morbid joke but like it, it's a good coping skill he's always say well I can always fall back on house painting because my grandfather had a painting company and so <laughs> he was always like if this doesn't work out I can always be a painter like I literally heard him say it like six weeks before he retired if this doesn't work out I can always be a painter and like <laughs> having that kind Amen. of bounce back attitude and knowing that the Lord doesn't put us any place that our back is going to be up against the wall entirely um, does just give you such a, a safe amount of that bounce back that we think mm -hmm. of when we think of resiliency of being able to, to pause and say, okay, what are the things I do know are true? And then having that ability to see that the Lord always, there's an out somewhere um, for no matter what, you're facing at the time, he's going to provide a way for you to stand up under it, even if it's a, a slightly dark joke about finding work painting houses. Um, yeah. there, there's a way to be able to do that so that you can move on in a healthy manner. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's 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 coping. You're finding a way to, to, to cope that works for you by saying, you know, I'm going to make a dark joke and I'm going to remind myself that I'm not going to be uh, uh, down and out. And uh, you even mentioned like sometimes people feel stuck, right? And so, yeah. so to remind themselves, yeah, I'm not actually trapped in this this particular place. Mm -hmm. I, I do have options. And to list sometimes for people to list those options can be really helpful. Yeah, um, it's it's about finding the kinds of truth that you need to speak to yourself, uh, and hopefully that includes the gospel and and what is true about about yourself, what how God sees you. And um, and to do that with grace and, and, and gentleness rather than, than a harsh tone. Well, and yeah. yeah, like there's so much of that that connects to like even where I'm at emotionally. <laughs> like my counselor and I currently are working through that self-talk, that very thing that you were talking about. I would say I'm in that very early stage where I actually have to do Ooh. it verbally. I'm like um, the – gosh, the pandemic like – knocked out my spiritual health, like my emotional health in so many ways. So I feel like I've been catching even still this long, yeah. um, into it of like, 
playing catch up to get back to where I was emotionally before uh, all of that. Um, but, um, I, I think that something that you played in, like you were talking about that I, I think is so important is I think we can sometimes think that emotional health or emotional maturity means not being affected by anything like, Oh, none of this affects me. But it's that, as you said, that ability to slowly gain strength in bouncing back more. It's not a matter of not being affected by things like a robot, but a matter of being able to process it well, cope with it well, be able to think through. Like, I I love what you're talking about. Like, am I reacting to this thing in this moment? Or am I reacting to something in the past, to something that happened earlier? I had an issue, um, like, last week where I... um, messed up on something around the house and just literally had a breakdown, <laughs> literally had a breakdown of like not cooking rice. Right. <laughs> it was the most random thing. And I just started bawling, crying. And then, um, Christian was even the one who had to then talk with me about, is this about rice or is this <laughs> about what happened earlier this week? And having to go, you're right. And then having to process through that and cope through that and do that very thing you're talking about is like going through what are these worst case scenarios? What are these things in my mind? But here's what is realistically like going to happen or, or seeing that through that lens and being able to talk through that. And I think that building that ability, as you said, the more we can build that, the more we can do it. Like you said, not even having to verbally think through it or consciously think through it, then we can take ourselves through that much more subtly. Oh my gosh, that's so good. Yeah, I, I I relate to all of that. I mean, the the amount of times I have had this dramatically intense reaction to thing equivalent to to rice being cooked improperly uh, could fill could fill novels, I'm sure. But um, but yeah, to to then go back and be like, yeah, I love what Christian said. Is this actually about the rice? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's exactly what we need to do. What is actually going on here? That's yeah, I don't, I don't ever fall apart about the actual things. I mean, yeah. that that probably would be the healthy thing to do at some <laughs> point, but no, I yeah. yeah, I mean, I I completely melted down Saturday night because I dropped my kids off to be babysat with my parents, and neither of them had on shoes, and I'm like just sitting in the car in their front yard, like ugly crying because they don't have shoes on, and my mom was like, "Are you okay? No." Like has nothing to do with the shoes. Yeah. We go lots of places without <laughs> shoes, you know, but shoes are not oh. a requirement when you're a child. <laughs> no. Sometimes sometimes I really like Greg, would you would you kinda say that breaking down about the little things really is kind of a a safety mechanism or a coping mechanism that like we can't face the big things so we're gonna cry about the rice and the shoes? Sometimes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah we if we haven't, if we're, if we're putting up walls and we're guarded about, about the big things and we haven't processed or dealt with trauma, oftentimes that it does come out in other ways where I'd never cried about my, my dog that died when I was 12, but now all of a sudden I'm crying because I, uh, you know, uh, I had to put the, the toy or the stuffed animal dog in the closet instead of, uh, on display all of a sudden after all these years. Um, sometimes that brings up past things. 
the other thing that I, I really loved that Josh that you had said uh, about the pandemic was was just the reminder of what an intense time we're going through. There's like a global corporate trauma happening right now. Mm-hmm. There's yes. so, like in our lifetime so much um, uh, fear about about getting sick or political tension or uh, or insecurity about what our futures are going to look like. And it would be weird if we were not reacting to that. Yeah. Um, right. So just to tell yourself even compassionately, like, okay, it's not crazy for me to be having these feelings right now. It's it's not crazy for me to be worried or upset or thinking that my emotional health is, is not where it should be. Like, yeah, let's give ourselves some grace in that. This is a really hard time. 100%. Yeah, I think that's been one of the biggest things as a help for me is seeing like, first of all, it's okay that this, all of these factors that play into it, exactly what you said, like all of these, for many people, housing crisis with rising prices, where am I going to live in a year? All of this different kind of stuff. There's so many different things playing into people's emotional health. And I feel like so many people think that they're going through it alone. They're the only people being affected by it. Many times those of us in ministry can feel like we're the only ministry people that are not holding it together. Um, But then even just that ability to see, to, I I kind of like, as you, I mean, just as you were saying that looking at what am I feeling that listening to yourself is so good. And you mentioned trauma. (laughs) None of us have that. (laughs) No, None of us. None of us have that. Uh, But, you know, we have, um, we've talked about a lot even here on the podcast, but experiencing trauma, especially within the church. I mean, you even highlighted it in the story of your friend who, you know, shared the gospel with you and then the experience he had within the church. I mean, it trauma within church walls is common for LGBT people. It's very hard to not have that. Um, even if you haven't experienced it yourself, I mean, you, you even shared the experience of your friend, therefore traumatized you about how you were going to respond or be accepted in the church, even if you never had that experience. So I, I would just love to hear what your thoughts are, you know, kind of branching off of what you were saying before about trauma, acknowledging that there is a lot of trauma, even within the specific LGBT experience that we have what what advice do you have about navigating that trauma within emotional health, especially when you're a gay Christian that has decided to still be in a church setting, which it's almost sometimes like, are we allowing ourselves just to be more traumatized? Uh, would love to hear your thoughts on this. Oh, my gosh. You know, I I, I want to first say I, I think I'm still in process in, in this way, too, um, because I I. I spent a lot of years as a closeted pastor in an, in an evangelical church. And so I'm still learning ways in which that's impacted me. And, um, so I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll share this knowing that I'm not some expert from the outside, but really I'm, I'm one of, one of the people you're talking about too. Yeah. yeah. I think there's, I think one thing that we need to remember is that we're we're not alone. Um, again, I, I think connection is the great healer, and that's where I'm so beyond grateful for 
um, the Revoice local chapters that are forming mm. and the opportunities for us to find safe community. Yeah. Um, because there, you know, just recognizing that there are other people that have had a shared experience um, really does help us to not feel alone, not feel crazy, be able to share uh, stories with one another about what was helpful in conversations with pastors or ministry leaders, um, what was not helpful in those moments as well. And um, just to be able to normalize our experience. So um, shout out to to Becca and to, to the Revoice crew there for, for helping to make those things mm. happen a lot more and more in the coming year. Um, I think another thing that I've realized is, you know, we, we often talk a lot about um, our expectations of the church. And I do have really, really high hopes and expectations for the church, but I'm, but I'm also aware of the fact that uh, hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And I've been around church world to know that people may not have the exact same hurts or trauma or wounding that I do, but everybody's got some and everybody has their own closet that they're hiding into. And um, so if I'm reminded of that, then when I hear from from that person or that ministry leader that's saying whatever they're saying, um, I can know that they may not actually be talking to me and they may not actually be talking to me about being gay. They may be talking about something completely different. And what what is the underlying fear? What painful thing happened to them? What are they afraid will happen if the gates come in and take over? Like, what what is it that, that, that they're really responding to? And is there a way to talk about those things? Now, I recognize, as I say that, that that requires a lot of emotional health and resilience to even be able to go to that place where we're not so triggered. Yeah. But if we can have at least enough grace on ourselves to say, okay, I was triggered. I was re-traumatized. I did have that upsetting conversation. Maybe that wasn't actually my fault. Maybe this isn't really about me. Maybe I'm not the problem. Then that can at least be a, a helpful place in our own healing and our own place to kind of start thinking about how do I want to reapproach the conversation whenever it is that I am ready. Um, there's a. I'll give you an example of something that really helped me. Um, so there was leading up to Revoice, I had posted something about how I was going to speak at the conference and. There were some. There were a couple people on there that um, they had already left uh, uh, my church years ago, and are kind of um, let's just say staunchly uh, not in favor of of gays in the church. Mm -hmm. uh, Is probably the nicest way I can put it. Um, But I remember one of them had posted something on my wall um, that just said. So sad to hear what's happened to you, Greg. Now, mm-hmm. in that moment, was that an attack? <laughs> yes. Do I have every right in the world to be upset about that? Yes. Dare I say to have the moral high ground? A hundred percent. So what do I do in those moments? Well, I could have, you know, very easily uh, gone off. And yeah. I had some wonderful, loving, even straight friends that texted me, can you believe what someone's out with it? I want to go to his house and, uh, you know. Um, and then I, I thought about him. Um, he's an older man that um, has some of his own mental health stuff, possibly early stages of dementia even. Mm. Um, he sits 
on his front porch and just kind of rocks for hours a day. He's very lonely. And I just, I just got really sad for him. Mm. I just said, man, my life is full of goodness and, and love and the body of Christ supporting me in the grand scheme of things. Like, not only does this person's comment not really matter, but uh, I, I, God, I just pray for him. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me too, just you know, what what are we meant to do as Christians in general with anybody that that comes after us? Well, yeah. we love our enemy, right? Yeah. Even if they are our sworn enemy and they're out to take us down, we love our enemy. Mm-hmm. And. I think what I tried to do in that moment was get was in order to love him. I had to come from a place of compassion and getting outside of myself. So mm. I hope that's helpful. I don't want anyone to walk away feeling like, Oh my gosh, Greg told me I just need to get over it. Do not get <laughs> over it. Go through it, not over it. it. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I, I think yeah, that it's like going on a bear hunt. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. You gotta go through it. Yeah, I, I really think that that's good. And I, I think I've seen even just stages of how to process those things, even in my own life of um, it's natural to react. And I think sometimes we, you know, can can or do need to react to those things. But even just being able to learn how to I, I think for me, it's been that process of in those moments when getting those critiques from people of learning how to more internalize the validation and acceptance that I get from other people to therefore allow it to be like, that's not as big of a deal. Like I had someone who criticized me on a comment of Instagram and I'm not even on social media anymore. And like, I, it it was interesting because like I talked about it with some friends, but it, it was interesting to see my reaction to it now compared to previously as I've just been able to stand more on a feeling of acceptance for people and not saying this in a way of like, depending on what your reaction is rates, your like emotional maturity or something or mine, but just a matter of like, I I think for me, as I've been able to internalize that love and acceptance of God and as well as other people, as you said, connection brings healing. I wrote it down. I was like, um, I think that that's so important. Me too. Right? It's so Aww. good. Um, because it's we such a good reminder. Such a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But I think it's that connection and that connection brings, we can internalize that connection, that acceptance of resting yeah. on that. Then when those things come, we are able to have like to give gr- grace that is not deserved on their part. Um, right. in any way, <laughs> but being able to go, you know what I, or even just for our own self, I don't need to <laughs> respond to you. I have a lot of other things to do. Um, uh, a- any thoughts from you back on that? Yeah. One of the, like looking back at little phrases and things that that's become a lot of resiliency for my own mental and emotional health of what are phrases that I need to hang tight to in those moments to keep from spiraling to keep from jumping in Um, because I as a strong Enneagram 8 I want to fight every fight that is Mm -hmm. around 
And um, that put me in a really unhealthy place um, during the last election cycle here in the United States. Um, and just consistently over the last two years yep. with everything that we faced with uh, the pandemic and having to learn and to remember what Greg was saying about there's always something else like we cry over the rice. Usually people that are exploding about something, there's something else that they're exploding about. It's not that issue. Mm-hmm. And the the phrase that I've used to take that really, I mean, it's a lie that's designed to divide, especially Christians from one another of this person is attacking me. They are my enemy that taking that thought captive and making it obedient to what Paul said in Ephesians six, that we battle not against flesh and blood. And that is the phrase that the Holy spirit brings to my mind consistently when I'm doom scrolling through whatever social media I might be looking at and want to jump in and tell somebody how wrong they are about something that that grace is what allows me to let them have the last word, which has been a huge part of my own sanctification and becoming more like Christ. Um, bigger than that. I mean, that's sometimes I want to tell people when they're arguing with me about gay identity language and things like that. I want to be like, listen, letting you have the last word on this is a much bigger area of sanctification than my sexuality has ever (laughs) been. So (laughs) you just appreciate the fact that Jesus is working in my heart on that issue. Um, But yeah, being able to say that the person is not always I mean they're not the problem that doesn't mean that we lay back and take it especially Mm -hmm. if you're in some sort of consistent abusive situation you don't just go well this person was hurt so I just need to take it that's not it at all but when it's things like that that it's daily hurts little jabs that people are taking that we can either say you know God loves you and I'm working on it or I'm just not even going to respond that sometimes that is a greatest indicator of health is that we don't feel the need to go into every battle like it's a battle. Mm -hmm. I really like that. And I'm really glad that you brought up the, the difference between that versus an abusive situation. Um, If you, yeah, because there are certain people in your life that, that are not core people, right. And they're going to be, if we have our, if we have a deep bench, and we have our, our core of people that we really love and trust and who trust and love us, then those, those that outer sphere doesn't matter as much when mm-hmm. they take those jabs. But sometimes, yeah, for those people that, that are, are going through abuse, either in the church or, gosh, in any in any area of life, in the home, in relationships, that's a that's a very different matter. And yeah. if, if that's the case, then we need to take an honest look at that and say, what what are some ways in which we can get you to a safer place? Mm -hmm. Um, Do we need to leave the church? Do we need to leave the home? Do we need to find uh, strategic ways of, of making a plan for that? Um, And there, there are times where I think that is appropriate and we don't just need to do the, the mental energy of walking through Okay, okay, here are the steps. Here's how I'm gonna to get to forgiveness. Here's how I'm gonna love my enemy. Yeah. Um you can you can do that, but from a safe distance. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That's really key. I, and I, I love that distinction. Cause like, I know that's even been something for me when I started looking for a church, I had a big stipulation of, I didn't want to go to a church that I needed to train how to love me already do that with all yeah. the other churches. I didn't want to do that here. I wanted to be in a church where I didn't have to argue for it. I didn't have to deal with this. I didn't need to train my own pastor. And I knew that was going to limit a lot of churches. Um, But I was like, for me personally, it's part of that inner part. I was like, I just need this inner part so I can, because I already deal with that in work with so many other churches, with so many other pastors, with Christians, with LGBT people, all this stuff. In order to deal with that there, I need this core part here um, to be good and strong. And it's even funny when you're talking about like Becca with, you know, desk scrolling just on Instagram and <laughs> social media. I have found yep. that many times um, the times when I actually just randomly want to go on social media and find someone that I disagree with to argue with them because it does happen. Yes. Are many times the times when I feel very powerless in like relationship with my family or these mm-hmm. people that I'm like, well, I can't like I can I make boundaries with them. Like if a person is like, we have a connection, I can't like this connection is not going to be broken. So I'm putting a boundary up of the place that you have in my life. Um, but obviously when I feel powerless in those kinds of things um, because of the hurt that is experienced there, it can be easy to jump onto social media or to go after in these other places and being able to do that, that talking through, just like you said, um, of, uh, and it's that way of me being the person, the hurt person who then hurts people. Um, and all, yes, that's such a great example of like, if I'm not dealing with it, I'm just like, look at me, I'm so strong. I don't have any problem. Right. Like then you're exactly right. We, we, we have these imaginary scenarios in our head. Sometimes where we're like, I want to yell this thing at my mom or my dad and, and you know, but we can't do that. So yeah, we go on social media and blah, 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 yeah. blah, and I'll tell them as opposed to here's where connection comes in. Josh connects with Greg and Becca and says, <clears throat> you know, I, I just remembered this really awful thing that my mom and dad said to me when I was a kid. And it's really, really troubling me. And I really wish I could have said this and I really wish I could have, had a different response and oh man josh that's awful like i'm sorry i love you i would i i hate that you went through that yeah and all of a sudden you go through that process and then healing has happened because you've gotten to go through it you've gotten to experience the real feeling but you've done it in a healthy way that was about the actual issue well and that actually plays into that's beautiful (laughs) an extra question that i have kind of like a side question related to this Because I think this happens with these kind of like trauma responses um, that we have, especially within the queer community. We can even say it more specifically, the side B community. Many times we will have those trauma responses on each other where we are interacting even just as a community, as LGBT people. It can be in person on Twitter or whatever, however, however it is. And Mm -hmm. like, what are you, what advice do you have of like, so if I'm, if I am interacting with a person and I'm just seeing maybe something even in our immediate interactions or something where I'm like, wow, like I, we can see 
the trauma response in other people in our community that we love and we care for and how to help well to to help others even as we're dealing with our own trauma in these kinds of things that might come out in our community about how we respond to each other and and how do we do that well for each other oh i love that question um something i've definitely noticed the most um and truthfully this happens across the board but i see this a lot in inside b world is it's a there's a real fear of abandonment um i think that because we so many of us have strained relationships with our biological families our chosen families have come to mean so much to us Mm -hmm. and yet we've we've often been raised in such a way where if we do something wrong or worse we are something wrong then we have learned that that means somebody will leave us or abandon us and so sometimes when we have very human discussions or arguments with people that we love who have become chosen family or, or side B friends, um, we get into a state of panic, not because, again, what, of what we're talking about as much as, oh, my gosh, if they've realized there's something wrong with me or they, they realize they don't like me anymore. And what is likely to happen? They're going to abandon me. Mm. They're going to leave me. So the thing I like to say in those moments where it may not even necessarily feel related is, hey, I just want to let you know, I love you. I'm not going anywhere. And the reason we're actually having a heated discussion right now is not because I'm getting ready to leave you. It's because I want more relationship with you and we need to get to figure out this hard thing that we're talking about. Mm, That's good. And so if we can just lay the groundwork that that this connection will not be broken and we're, there's mutual love for one another. I think that can be a really helpful place to go in the middle of those kinds of discussions. That's Ooh. good. Ooh. I know. <laughs> Just want to take a minute and pause and think through. Yeah. That. <laughs> Unfortunately, dead space doesn't work on a podcast. It doesn't. No. <laughs> this is my idea of small talk, by the way. So yeah. Uh. This is why we love you so much. Right, yeah. Ask me about weather or sports ball or something like that. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm tired. That was was something somebody said about the uh, Revoice conference was that we don't mess around with small talk. They're like, you walk in the door and the conversation is like a 10. I was like, tell me your childhood (laughs) trauma. Yeah. (laughs) And then then you get their name at the end of the conversation. Right. There's a there's a meme on the internet that was like LGBTQ relationships and friendships. Share with me your childhood trauma. Ten years down the road, oh, you have a dog. Um, <laughs> that's exactly it. Yep. Love it. I'm here for it. That's so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that. A shirt. I, I think that's so important because we can many times so get caught up in the conversation at hand or what's being said to not realize that emotionally it's probably something very different happening yeah um and being able to try and recognize that and i know that's hard for me when i get into conversations like that with someone especially when it's someone within our community someone i cherish so much and being like i'm being hurt in this situation as well it's hard for me then to look and try and care and be like try and see the person where they're at and give that reassurance that as you said I just want to stop right now and say, 
I'm here. I love you. I care for you. Um, and being able to allow that space for that, trying to recognize mm-hmm. that what is happening may not be like the emotions may not be connected to the present moment in that mm-hmm. way or the present conversation or topic. We, you know, I, I have this with Paolo, but <clears throat> I think this could be probably part of the greater side B uh, conversation. It's like the greatest hits of one liners, uh, you know, so he'll, and he'll have, I'll just be like, just, just go through this all the time with me, Paolo. So it's, you know, I love you. I'm not going anywhere. You're not crazy. You are enough, you know, like all the, it's like, okay, just contextualize it for that, that particular moment or conversation or thing that's going on. And we're probably on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. We have two more questions left um, that we want to get to our first one kind of building on all of this. Like within like LGBTQ psychology, not a psychologist, not even a student in this, but, um, or anything, but I understand, you know, you hear a lot about, uh, the common term of second adolescence. Um, this kind of comes up in many spaces. Can you define this term for us and just kind of share, do you believe this is an accurate, um, depiction of the experience for many queer people? Like, um, what are your thoughts on that? And if so, like, what are some tools? You don't have to answer that all at once, but like, yeah, just love to hear your thoughts there. Yeah. You know, I, I heard about this term pretty early on in my, uh, coming out side B kind of conversation. Um, largely because I was experiencing it. I was like, I have a crush on everyone. And all of a sudden, (laughs) every single one of those crushes, it's like, we're going to, we're going to ride off into the sunset and spend the rest of our lives together. And it's going to be perfect. And yes. And, uh, and, you know, on the one hand, it was, it was, this made all the sense in the world to my, my, my tender little heart. And on the other hand, I was like, I'm also 38 years old. And why do I feel like a teenager all of a sudden? Mm-hmm. Aren't I supposed to be, you know, this emotionally mature therapist, pastor guy, and I'm not feeling that at all right now. So I quickly learned about this, this thing called second adolescence and shout out to uh, the likes of Peter Valk and Art Pereira, who walked me through many of those conversations <laughs> early on. In my second life. Um, and I, I then ended up uh, reading a lot more about it in uh, the book Velvet Rage. But it's basically this idea that because of the closet, we go through the experiences that oftentimes a teenager does, but we do that later in life at the time that we come out. So a teenager that that is straight is usually having the ability to very freely talk with somebody about who they have a crush on and um, and what are their their hopes and dreams about relationships and sex and mm-hmm. kissing and all those kinds of things. But because uh, of those of us who, who did have to go into the closet uh, out of self-protection, we didn't get a chance to kind of go through that yeah. and live through that. Mm-hmm. So later on in life, we are, we are having those first conversations and those first open feelings and I think that's really normal. The thing that, that, that really helped me, I think, as I was going through that was to say, okay, I'm, this may feel like all the teenage feelings and they're very big and real and good. That doesn't mean that I'm not a mature person. That doesn't mean I, I, yeah. I, I can't couple that 
with the wisdom I've gotten in many other areas of my life mm -hmm. and many of the other relationships that I've witnessed over the years and go through that in a way that 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 doesn't involve as many of the 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 teenage immaturity or teenage hormones and um, uh, again not not block it out or pretend it's not there as much as as just kind of like we were like we've been talking about throughout the conversation go through it not around it um, yeah. so that's helped me yeah and read velvet rage if well if you're a guy sadly uh, we need to do you know of like a female equivalent becca for the queer experience Velvet Unfortunately, room. I do not. <sighs> we need it. And I, I wish that there was something. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah. It's like somebody needs to write that, but I for sure don't have time and don't know that I would be <laughs> appropriately <laughs> equipped to do so. But yeah, I would love, yeah, though, we need something like that. I would love, I'm putting this out to listeners. Um, if you know a really good book on um, just like the female queer queer experience, especially like emotionally, psychologically, I would love to hear that. I would love to hear about that. We've talked about Velvet Rage a lot, but um, I would love to see if anyone has suggestions um, about really good books for the female experience um, for that. But, yeah, uh, that would be so helpful. Yeah, I was going to say, I had several that I read back in the day that were really helpful, but I would like to reread them before recommending my current them. position and perspective before recommending them. Yeah. Uh, that's probably a better way of saying that. Understandable. 100%. I've been yeah. there before. Like going, wow, that was a really good book, but that was a really good book for where I was at. Let me just make sure. Yeah. As I turned and looked at, at my shelf of all the helpful books on sexuality <laughs> and they're all now not where I would easily just hand them to someone and say, Hey, read this. So I probably need to go back through and reread some things. Yeah. <laughs> no, but thank you for sharing that. Great. I mean, I think that the whole thing of second adolescence, it can be very jarring when you don't know what's going on. Like, why am I crying yes. over this? Like this was never my life or like just even, I, I even found it for me. Like when I started making probably irresponsible decisions based off of a boy, like just being able to spend time with a boy that just naturally would not have been my decision-making beforehand in, yeah. in really weird, crazy ways. Um, and again, of course, like when you, when you've had all this bottled up for so long, like, of course you're going to make irrational decisions for a boy. Like, I, I, you know, how could you not? It's just, it's just such a, a human thing to to not know what to do with that. Yeah. And yeah. So again, grace, compassion on yourself. You're yeah. not crazy. I also think that. it's like that hard part that I also had. To, <laughs> I had to have a weird forgiveness for my friends who walked and like also apology to my friends who walked with me through that time because they <laughs> right. would I was coming out. Where I was like kind of finding, we're not coming out because I had come out earlier, but when I went through my own second adolescence, when I was um, kind of making these irrational decisions, my friends would stop me on them. Like, hey, don't move across the country for this boy that you met two days ago. And, you know, things <laughs> like that. And I would be like, you're homophobic. Like, <laughs> why do you hate me being gay? And... And then I would have to come back to them and be like, so I'm sorry. <laughs> you were right. And this understanding that there are chances that your friends are trying to help you. 
Right. <laughs> Isn't that a crazy thought? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just, I remember like sobbing irrational conversations with friends that it's like I think I like this person and I don't really know and I just met this person and I don't know if I like them or if I like them like them or maybe last week I thought I liked you and I don't know and yeah I mean like that is sadly normal for us on wherever we are but you're right most people do that at like 13 or 14 and like even with the bisexual experience yeah. that you get that part that we get to do that for the opposite gender on a relatively normal scale but you still face a second adolescence when you come out as being bi that mm -hmm. all right this whole part of me that I've had pushed away I get to deal with now and the weird part about like coming out especially in your 20s or even 30s is that your frontal lobe is fully formed <laughs> so it's almost like an out-of-body experience because the whole time it's happening you're like I know that this is absurd yes but you're still doing it and so that adds to like the judgment and the shame a lot of times of I know better and I'm still doing this, mm -hmm. but that it is a healthy part of development. And when you get stuck in a place for whatever reason, a lot of times it just takes time for the rest of your heart and your mind to catch up and that it's not going to be that way forever any more than middle school was forever. Amen. Like that was a huge help for me was I'm not always going to be here any more than I've always been in the seventh grade, which sounds like some sort of horror story. I mean, it feels like seventh grade. Second adolescence feels like seventh yes, grade. <laughs> it is absolutely seventh grade, but it's not going to last yeah. forever. And I was so. literally thinking about the bisexual experience. Shout out to Ashley and Elizabeth who've talked about this on the podcast of that yes. whole weird experience of like going through adolescence related to opposite sex, like, you know, attractions. But then you're like, well, crap. Now I... I respect, respect. <laughs> I can't imagine. Um, I, so yeah, good. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. Shout out to, yeah. Cause when you've gone through one adolescence and then you go through a second, I mean, woo, yeah. I would God also, I'm making a note for a future episode because I don't want to speak into experience that I don't understand. But as we plan for the ACE episode that we're doing this uh, season I would love to hear yes from our ace brothers and sisters and honestly if you are listening and you are ace uh, you know mention us on Twitter or like in if you're a patron on our our patreon community um, would love to hear about your experience of second adolescence as uh, being asexual uh, or demi and how that has been for you because I would love to hear about that um yeah absolutely yeah really for that yeah for our last question, we're going to ask you the question we're asking everyone this season. Um, what is a message you would give to your earlier self and you can pick the age of yourself that you're giving the message? Um, I thought about the first moment where I think I really knew it wasn't just like 
I, I think some boys are cute, but like, I really went, oh my God, I'm gay. Um, I was probably 14, I think. And I remember this feeling of, of dread coming over me mm. and pain and loneliness and making that, for whatever reason, that weird agreement with myself to say, you will never share this. Mm. And if I could go back and talk to that version of Greg and just let him know he is so safe to share. <clears throat> He's so lovable. Mm. He's so thoughtful and deep. He is going to help a lot of people because of who he is. Mm. He's going to have a life full of meaning and purpose and joy. Um, and to just hold him while he cries through the grieving process of that. That would be, that would be my little reparenting moment. Amen. Mm. Amen. Thank you for sharing that and being vulnerable. Ugh. We love you, Greg. Yeah, I've come out of enough closets. I might as well just keep coming out of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Closets are overrated. They closets. really are. Let's have a closet free house. Come on. I mean, I don't know. I have way too many clothes, but okay. Yeah, I was going to say, let's not take that too far. All right. Works works better as a metaphor than than as practical architecture. Um. (laughs) You have no closets. You end up with wardrobes and then you end up in, you know, other fantastical worlds. You know how like that culture affects like architecture. Could you just imagine a trend where like queer people just decided they were just not going to have closets and you just go into a house (laughs) and you're like, oh, a queer person lived here. There's not a single closet. Rip that out. <laughs> That's right. Um, no, 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 no. Wait, check this out. You could you could design one of the rooms in the house to look like a super cute boutique. Okay. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. We didn't see that coming. There you, you go shopping every day. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Okay, I see it. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm into it. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Then I'd have to invite one of y'all over every day to help me get dressed because I don't do well with shopping. My oh. my like life goal has always been to have that um the closet from Clueless where she like just puts yes. the whole thing and she swipes and then she like picks out her outfit and then like pushes the button and then the like whole outfit comes right in front of her. That's been like so my fabulous. dream for oh, life. I Obsessed with that closet and clueless. I loved it. I oh. want it so, so much. My friends and I have been joking around that I, I'm like saving up money to do a wardrobe, you know, like just change up my wardrobe and stuff. And I have some friends that will potentially go with me on that. And I've been joking around. I'm like, maybe we should just like record this whole outing of like Josh's new closet wardrobe and put it as a episode of life on side b i doubt actually anyone would want to hear that but um, oh i I was gonna say not only would i tune in but i think paolo and i would fly out to florida for your shopping i'm already popping my popcorn oh my gosh please do come down okay well greg we love you thank you so much for joining yes thank you yes becca and john cq are some of my heroes so i feel so honored to be here with you guys thank you so much for creating so many safe spaces for me to feel like I could end up in the place that I'm at now. Yeah. 
I just, I'll never stop being grateful for my side B heroes here. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, we're, well, everyone. Got to do it all together. Listen, follow Greg wherever, where are you on? Are you on Instagram? Like, where are you at? Where can people find you? I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, are more than welcome to follow or friend me. Um, and then I have a, a website, which I need to update soon about all the church changes. But, but you can definitely find a lot more about me on gregpiken.com, uh, P-I-K-E-N. And uh, that's got um, uh, just a little bit of information about uh, ministry, counseling, some other things that I do, as well as links to uh, things that I've written and, and, uh, talks I've given. Awesome. Beautiful. We, and if you don't know Greg, you definitely want to check that out. Cause he's a person worth knowing. Absolutely. Aww. And we can't wait for like all of the amazing things God has as you go to San Diego. Mm-hmm. Yeah, too. Stay tuned for more. Yes. Yes. All right. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye friends. Take care. Bye.